Hey, everybody. It is so great to be here at our Ridge Campus. You guys are always so hospitable. Shout out to Pastor KT and Marie, the whole team here in the Ridge family. Thank you for just welcoming us and letting me be here and just be a part of this cool little thing that God is doing here at our Ridge Campus. Also, just want to welcome those of you who are maybe joining us at our Banks Mill or West Campus or just connecting with us online. Listen, we're glad you're here wherever here happens to be for you today. In 2014, Navy SEAL Admiral William McRaven delivered the commencement speech to the graduating class of the University of Texas. The title of his speech was, if you want to change the world, start by making your bed. It's an interesting concept, and if you go online and watch that uh, speech, and I would encourage you to do that if you haven't done it, but what you'll see is that the purpose of his speech was not to just chastise a bunch of lazy millennials for their undisciplined life. His purpose was to say to them that success in life, making a difference in the world, is not built on the big moments of life, but in doing the right thing daily in the little things in life. It's what I call the power of small that small things done consistently over a long period of time can have a huge difference in your life. And you see this principle in almost every area of life, right? A, A small change in your diet or just a few minutes of exercise done daily over a long period of time will have a huge impact on your physical health. A few dollars saved each week in an account with compounding interest. Over 20 or 30 years, those few dollars every week can turn into a million dollar nest egg. I mean, even in our relationships, right? I mean, great relationships aren't built on these few big memorable moments. It's built on small acts of kindness done consistently over the long haul. And this power of small also shows up in our faith life. In fact, that's why Jesus says these words in Luke chapter 16. Jesus says, if you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the large ones. But if you are dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. And so today, as a church family, we are beginning a five-week journey where we are going to leverage the power of small in our individual lives and in the life of our church. Now, this five-week journey we're taking together is not just going to be the Sunday morning messages for the next five weeks. We're also going to be doing a power of small, small group study in all of our adult home groups. All of our adult home groups. We're going to take the things that we talk about on Sunday morning and in our groups, we're going to dig down a little deeper. We're going to personalize it for our 
individual lives. And so if you're already connected with a home group, all you need to do is show up this week and every week for the next five weeks and you'll get to be a part of the small group study. If you haven't yet connected with a group or maybe you used to be in a group but you're kind of a little bit disconnected because life is crazy, this is a great opportunity for you to get in a small group to do this power of small small group study. It's a great opportunity. If you've never been in a home group, this is an opportunity for you to do just a five-week test drive. No commitment beyond just being willing to try it out for the next five weeks. And this is such a big deal for us as a church. And because we know that just showing up at some stranger's house with a strange group of people is pretty intimidating, to help make it easier for you to connect and be a part of this study, at all of our campuses during these next five weeks, we're going to be hosting home groups, small groups, going through this power of small study. So check with your campus, your campus pastor, find out how you can get connected because you don't want to miss the power of small in a small group connection. And then in addition to the Sunday morning messages, the small group studies, we're also doing a daily devotional reading on the power of small. Every day, starting this morning, every day for the next 35 days, we're going to put out just a small five, 10 minute devotional thought for you, a passage of scripture, a little paragraph, a point to ponder, and then a prayer to pray. And so all of us can just spend a few minutes each day thinking about the power of small. And if you already have the habit of spending time daily in God's word, this will be a great addition to what you're already doing. If you don't do this regularly, or maybe you used to, or you're inconsistent, this is a great opportunity for 35 days to begin to develop this small habit that can have a huge impact in your life. But it's not just Sunday morning messages. We're not just gonna talk about it study it and read about it. Over these next five weeks, we're going to do it. We're gonna put the power of small in practice in a very practical way. And one small thing that all of us can do that can have a big impact is we can invite one person to connect with our church family. One person, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a neighbor. Now, I'm not talking about somebody who already goes to church and you want them to come because you think your church is better than their church. No, what I'm talking about is somebody you know that either doesn't have a church home or they've disconnected over the last year or to somebody who's going through life without the love, support, and encouragement of a church family and without a daily relationship with Jesus. Somebody who lives without the hope that you have. And so on the bottom of your program, I just simply put, who's your one? There's a blank space there. And here's what I'm asking you to do, to just start praying today over the next couple of days and ask God to show you that one person that you can invite to connect with you. Because that one little thing can make a big difference in somebody's life. Life. Now, when I say invite them, I mean make this personal, right? I'm not talking about just handing them a little invite card to church or tagging them on Facebook. I'm talking about connecting with them, have a conversation with them, share with them what God has done in your life through being a part of Cedar Creek Church. Maybe uh, offer to pick them up and bring them with you 
to your campus or offer to be out front, meet them in the parking lot, make a plan to go out to lunch with them after church or meet them for coffee before church. Make this a personal connection because those small invitations from somebody they know who cares can make a big impact in their life. I'm so looking forward to these next five weeks and what God is going to do in and through our church family. What I want to do today is kick this thing off by exploring the power of small connections. How small groups of people committed to God and committed to one another can change the world. There's no better example of that than the early Christian church, this first church that started in the city of Jerusalem. If you're not familiar with the uh, history of the Christian church, following Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension back to heaven, he left behind somewhere around 120 committed followers, including the 11 remaining apostles. There were somewhere about 120 followers of Jesus after his resurrection. And a few weeks after the resurrection, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit entered the apostles, Peter went out into the street and began to preach. And as a result of preaching the gospel message, 3,000 people in that one day gave their lives to Jesus and joined this brand new church in Jerusalem. That's a pretty good growth campaign to go from 120 to 3,120 overnight. Now they've got no buildings, no budget, very little organizational structure. They got no website, they got no Facebook page, they got no cameras, no media, no lights, no musicians, and yet they changed the world. And I believe that the key to their impact, I believe the heart of the reason why they made such a difference in the world was not only their reliance on the Holy Spirit but their willingness to connect in authentic community with one another. Acts chapter 2 paints a picture of this. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, Acts chapter 2, the fourth book in the, or the fifth book in the New Testament, shows us how this church functioned. Basically, they did two things. They met regularly in large groups in the temple courts. Now, the temple courts were these large outdoor patios that thousands of people could gather in. And so regularly, the apostles would do exactly what they saw Jesus doing, going into the temple courts, preaching the gospel, healing, doing what they had seen Jesus do. And so these 3,120 church members would come. They would participate in that. But then in addition to these large group gatherings, they would gather in small groups in homes spread all across the city of Jerusalem. And as we, as we unpack these original home groups of the very first church, we're gonna see a clear picture of four little things that they did that had a big impact on their lives and the lives of their community. And guess what? 2,000 plus years later, they are the same four little things that we can do that can have a big impact in our lives and the lives of our community. So let's jump in. Number one, the first thing that small group connections can do is they can deepen my spiritual growth. Small group connections deepen my spiritual growth. 
For me, what is so amazing about this first church in Jerusalem was not just the rapid numerical growth, but it was the depth of their spiritual growth. I mean, I realize 120 of them had spent a lot of time with Jesus and had developed some deep spiritual roots, but the majority of them, over 3,000 of them, this was brand new to their lives, and yet for them, following Jesus was not just a culture or a custom that they had, right? These weren't just people who put fish stickers on their carriages and called themselves Christians. These were people who were willing to lay down their lives, to be persecuted, to lose it all in order to follow Jesus. They had deep spiritual faith. And I believe the key to that level of spiritual growth was not just the big martyrdom moments or the persecution. I believe it was their commitment to four small daily practices. Notice verse 42 there on your outline. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer four things these little home groups did that changed their lives and the world one is they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching For them, that was God's word. That was their Bible. They may have had the Old Testament, not personally. It would have been in the synagogues, but they didn't have the gospels written down. They didn't need it. They heard every day in the temple courts the the eyewitnesses, right? They didn't need to read Matthew's gospel. They heard Matthew tell the story himself. They didn't need to read the gospel of John. They listened to the words of John. And those words, God's word, God's truth became central to their lives and they were devoted to it. It also says they were devoted to fellowship. The word fellowship is the English translation of a Greek word koinonia, which literally means a deep abiding connection between people based on their shared love of Jesus. That's what united these 3,000 plus folks in this church family. They were different racially, different politically. They had different backgrounds, different socioeconomics. They were a diverse church, and yet they were able to be united over their love for Jesus. See, for them, going to home group was not just a meeting to attend once a week to check your spiritual growth box. This was about doing life together with a few other believers. Third thing they were devoted to was the breaking of bread. The way that is written, it is referring specifically to the Lord's Supper, the taking of the bread and the cup as a remembrance. You'll see a little later down in another verse, it says they broke bread in their homes. That phrase means having a meal together. But this phrase literally means they were devoted to taking the Lord's Supper together. It was a reminder to them. They, they were able to stop whatever was going on in their life, whatever their current circumstances, they took time to remember the amazing grace of what God had done. Dying on a cross, rising from the dead to give them life. They stayed focused on what God has done. Right? I think so often for us, sometimes we've been believers for a long time, we, we kind of take a ho-hum attitude towards the sacrifice of Jesus' death, towards his blood and his broken body, remembering regularly 
help them grow spiritually. And the fourth thing they were devoted to was prayer. They were devoted to a rich prayer life. We're not just talking about saying the blessing before a meal or a, now I lay me down to sleep. This was a constant conversation between them and God, pouring out their true hearts and feelings and struggles and joys to Him and shutting up long enough to hear His still, small voice. They were devoted to these things. These little things done consistently over a long period of time gave them a huge spiritual strength. See, I think sometimes as Christ followers, we have this idea that if at some point down the road we run into a crisis, if we hit some big mountain, big valley, some major crisis in our lives, that somehow we're gonna magically have this strong faith that's just gonna show up all of a sudden and help us have huge faith to deal with huge crises. That's kind of like thinking just because you go snow skiing every other year that you could head over to China and just jump right into one of those Olympic events. Like you could do what those people on TV do. You can't. They can do what they can do because they have spent years devoting their lives to these small things. Doing the small things over and over that allow them to do the big things in their sport. Same is true of your faith. Doing these small things over and over consistently over a long period of time will give you a deep faith. But not only did they develop a a deeper faith by these daily devotions to these little things, I also think they had a deep faith because of what they chose to focus on. Notice verse 43. It says, everyone, talking about the whole city, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. That's the 11 remaining apostles. See, they not only listened to the apostles' teachings, but they focused on what the apostles were doing. They were watching God move and work through the apostles in amazing ways, performing miracles, breaking down walls, breaking down chains, and they kept their eyes on that. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, if I could see supernatural miracles, I'd have a strong faith too. If I could see God really moving and working in my life, in my community, in my family, well, then I'd believe deeper in him too. But guess what? God is doing miracles all around you every day. The question is, are you focusing on what God is doing? Are you focused on what's happening on your Facebook and the politics of the day? Are you sucked into the systems and things of this world? Are you looking? Are you looking for where God is working? Because I'm going to tell you, church, if you look to see where God is working, he is moving and working all around you but you gotta be willing to focus on it. See, we're so distracted, so distracted by our social media, by our politics, by what's said on Fox News or CNN or CNBC. We're missing the amazing things that God is doing right in our lives. So, So let me ask you a question. What is the biggest barrier to your spiritual growth right now? What's getting in the way of you growing stronger in your relationship with Jesus? Maybe for you it is focus. 
You pick up that phone and five hours later you realize you've just spent five hours scrolling through nothing. Or maybe it's not remembering. Maybe not taking the time to be reminded every day of the incredible price God would pay to be in a relationship with you because he loved you. Or maybe you're not spending regular daily time in God's word. You're not devoted to these truths, to not just reading them, memorizing them, storing them up in your heart. Or maybe for you, the truth is you're not growing spiritually because you're disconnected. You've just disconnected. I mean, you may show up on Sunday mornings, watch online about half the time, but you're not in authentic community with a small group of believers. And Lord knows Satan has used these last two years to isolate way too many of us. It's become way too easy to isolate in our culture and world today. And let me tell you something, there is a price to pay. We see it day in and day out. Anxiety, depression, substance abuse, suicide and self-harm. It's coming from isolation. Maybe you're not growing spiritually because you're just trying to do life on your own. Small connections can make a huge difference in your spiritual growth. Number two, the second place that small group connections can make a difference is in providing support and encouragement. Small group connections provide support and encouragement because you're not created to do life alone. You remember the story in Genesis when God creates man, when God creates Adam, forms him out of the dust of the earth, breathes life into his nostrils, Adam comes alive, God steps back, looks at that creation, and what does he say? First thing, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper. But that statement, God is not just saying that Lord knows a man needs a woman to keep him in line. He's not saying we just men need spouses. He's saying that human beings need authentic relationships with other human beings. God is a relational God. And the Bible says we are created in his image. Therefore, we are relational beings. And I'm not talking about whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. The only difference between introverts and extroverts is the number of people that you can actually spend time with at a time. But all of us have deep in our soul a need for intimacy and connection to know and be known by others. That's why solitary confinement is the harshest punishment our prison system can give to a person. And studies have shown that extended periods of being isolated, being cut off from others, begins to have major mental and physical health impacts. Right? People in isolation start to lose their mind. They start to get sick. Even though they're fed, they're given everything else they need for life other than other human connections. And it destroys them. And yet many of us have voluntarily isolated ourselves. We've put ourselves in a form of solitary confinement. Oh, maybe we got people that we hang out with, talk with, but nobody really knows what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. Nobody knows the real me. I have a good friend of mine who's worked in the addiction and recovery world for years. 
And he says something that, that really, the first time I heard him say it, it, it really stopped me in my tracks. He said, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And I thought, what does that mean? The opposite of addiction is connection. And in asking him that question, he said, it's not just the support and encouragement you get from others who can walk with you in your addiction and struggle, but it also, that connection meets a deep need in your soul. Our addictions are a a desire, a chance to try to feel or not feel something. We try to fill that hole with a substance, with a phone, whatever it happens to be. And it's our connections that fill that void and help us live the way we were created. That's exactly what you see in these first century home groups. Notice verse 44. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. What does that mean to have everything in common? It means they opened their hearts and their lives to each other. They were willing to be there to encourage each other and to walk with each other through whatever they were going through. But it's not just an emotional encouragement. It was also about physical support. Look at verse 45. It says, they, talking about the people in this church, they sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. In other words, they didn't see their stuff as their stuff. They believed whatever they had, their financial resources, their material things, their time, their attention, their gifts, their skills, that whatever they had, God had given it to them to be shared with others, to make a difference They belong to the whole group. What's yours is mine, what's mine is mine, and what's ours belongs to the group. That's why authentic Christian community is often compared to communism or, or socialism, right? Those political systems that believe everybody puts into one big pot and the pot is equally distributed among everybody no matter what job they do or whether they work or not. Everybody just gets an equal share of the pot. Well, that's kind of what was happening in this early church. But listen, the difference between Christian community and communism or socialism is relationships. They were relationally connected to one another. And because of those relational connections, they knew what truly was best for others. Because y'all do realize sometimes giving people money or doing for them what they should be able to do for themselves is not helpful, it's hurtful. Right, It's creating dependence on you, and that's devastating for people. We've got 70 years of evidence of the government doing that and destroying generation after generation by creating that dependence. But in the context of relationships, you know, is that a legitimate need they have, or is that something I just need to help encourage them that they could do for themselves? I want to flip the script a little bit here. I know this idea of really connecting and doing life with a small group of others, it has a cost. It may cost you financially. It's definitely gonna cost you time, energy, emotional effort. Connecting with people in authentic community, it can be messy. It can be draining. It has a cost to it. But rather than worrying about what is the cost of connecting in authentic community, maybe we better be worrying about the cost of not being in authentic community. Because doing life alone has a price. You were not created to do life alone. And the longer you keep doing it, 
the more damaging it's going to be to you, to your family, to your church, and to the community. Small group connections help us grow spiritually. They provide support and encouragement. Number three, they will increase my gratitude and joy. Small group connections increase my gratitude and joy. Because see, these small group connections not only reduce the weight of my burden because I have others to help me carry it, but it also increases my gratitude and joy because I have someone to share the good times with. Notice verse 46 and 47. It said they broke bread in their homes. That's not the Lord's Supper. This is they had meals together in their homes and they ate together, notice, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Their authentic connections with each other brought joy into them and brought gratitude out of them. We have a word for that, this idea of having joy inside and expressing uh, gratitude outwardly. You know what the word is for that? It's what we call worship. That's what worship is, experiencing the joy and expressing the gratitude. Some of you may remember back towards the end of last year, we did a series of messages where we talked specifically about joy and gratitude. If you weren't a part of that, quick refresher. We said, first of all, that joy is not a temporary emotion based on circumstances. That's happiness based on what's happening. Joy is the deep settled confidence that comes from knowing that God is in control of the details of my life, no matter what's going on in my circumstances. Joy is something we have in, a deep confidence and trust in God. Gratitude, we said, is not an emotion I feel. Gratitude is an action I take. Gratitude is not gratitude unless it's expressed or demonstrated to others in some way. And so being connected in authentic community in a small group gives me a place to have a front row seat to God's faithfulness in other people's lives so that I can more trust God's faithfulness in my life. And being connected in a small group gives me a group of people to express genuine gratitude to. It helps increase my joy and gratitude. So let me ask you this question. If your joy and gratitude was measured, if there was a a meter for it in your life, what would your joy gratitude meter be on right now? One to 10, if 10 is, you know, best I have, one is I'm barely just getting through the day, where's your gratitude and joy meter? And then my second question is, if it's lower than you want it to be, have you ever considered maybe the reason it's low? It's because you're disconnected. You're not doing life with others. And then finally, number four, the fourth thing small group connections do is they increase my influence. Small groups increase my influence. In other words, the more connected I am, the more positive impact I can have on the people around me. Listen, whether you're a Christ follower or not, whether you believe in these things in the Bible, whether you believe Jesus is who he says he is, the one undeniable fact is that this small group of Christians in and around Jerusalem in the first century, they impacted the world. This small group of believers, less than one half of 1%, by the way, 
3,000 people was less than one half of 1% of the total population of Jerusalem. And yet this small little group over time, they transformed the whole Roman world. In 3,000 years, the Roman Empire became a Christian empire. You, you can't really argue about their impact. But see, I believe their impact was not only God's power working in and through them, I also believe it was because of their level commi of commitment to and connection with each other. Here's why I say that. Look at verse 47. It said, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. Everybody around them enjoyed what they were doing. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now listen, the Roman government didn't really like what they were doing. The Jewish religious leaders didn't like what they were doing. But the people on the street loved it. Why? Because authentic community is attractive to every person. Because we're all built with that need to connect in authentic community. People are drawn to that. That's why Jesus said, people will know you are my disciples by your love for each other. By the level to which you will connect authentically and do life together. As our communities, as our country becomes more and more divided, as the level of discourse in our culture becomes more and more angry and hateful and divisive, I believe, church, our willingness to love each other in spite of our differences is our most effective outreach tool. People are drawn to it. If we can love each other across our political differences, our socioeconomic differences, our racial differences, if we can love one another in spite of those differences, as we do that, it shines the brightest light into the darkest places of our culture. Listen, I know... People love a good fight, right? People love negativity. They're drawn with it. That's why if it bleeds, it leads in the national news. That's why the most interactive with social media posts are those that are divisive and start a fight. And the more comments you have, and man, it's just all this venom and anger. And people are drawn to it like moths to a flame. But do you know why people are drawn to that negativity? You know why people are engaging in that fight? because they have a hole deep down in their heart and they don't know what else to do. It's like your kids when they were little, they will get your attention either by doing the right thing and if they can't get it that way, they'll do it by getting into trouble. It's not they wanna do bad or they wanna be negative, they want that void filled and that's true of the people around us. So I'm gonna close with this question and, and I understand in asking this question, I'm crossing a line from preaching to meddling. But I'm gonna ask it anyway because I love you. What do your last 10 posts on social media point people to? What are you highlighting? What are you focused on with your social media? Is it the negativity, the divisiveness? Or is it the beauty and hope of Jesus lived out in different people from different backgrounds with different politics and different color of skin, loving 
one another. Listen, church, our greatest tool to impact our communities is not our politics. And it is not the wisdom that we think we have in our own eyes. It is our love for each other. And you cannot live out that love by just being part of a large group gathering like this every now and then. You have to be willing to connect an authentic community with a few others. The messy reality of authentic community, of doing life together in a small group. That change you desperately want to see in your life, that deep desire you have for our community and our culture to be transformed, it's not going to come from the next election and it's not going to come from some big, huge leap of faith that you're going to take in the next five weeks. It's going to be from little things done consistently and strategically over the long haul because that church is the power small. Would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, I thank you for this incredible reminder of the early church. Jesus, I know there's so many times we, we look at these people and the difference they made as somehow they, they had more than we have access to. We think maybe somehow the Holy Spirit that they had was stronger than the Holy Spirit that's in us. Or we think maybe that somehow they had superpowers to do all these things. But thank you for reminding us today, Jesus, that what they had was a willingness to be devoted consistently to the little things that would make a big difference in their lives and in the lives of their community. Jesus, I pray for every one of us as we begin this power of small journey over these next five weeks that we would either commit or recommit to fully engaging, to be willing to invite others, to be willing to push through whatever barriers or things that are keeping us from connecting and be willing to live out our faith in authentic community in these small groups and watch you change the world around us. And that change starts within us. So thank you, Jesus, for this great reminder today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.